Open your Bibles with me if you would. Matthew chapter 5, you can see on screen. Still in that series, God told me, trying to use that understanding that people say this all the time, well, God told me to do this. And, and sometimes you think, okay, I believe it. And other times you think, I don't think so. So we're going to try to look at things that I think God really would say to us. Because I do believe that God speaks to us. I've never heard an audible voice, but others have. My dad did, he said. I know some of you others have said you heard the voice of God. And so I believe that happens. So we're going to try to discern from Scripture what God might actually say to you that we can be sure of. Matthew chapter 5. As always, we begin with prayer. Something that God wants you to do. In fact, as the scriptures teach you that God wants you to pray. So when you pray, you have an audience with the Father. You can talk to him about anything and everything. You do not have to use the king's language. You know, some people pray in the King James English. I had a good friend that was an evangelist. He was in his 80s at the time I knew him. And he sounded just like scripture when he was talking. And I told him I was jealous because I could never think that way. He said it took him about 75 years to get there. You know, it's one of those things. But anyway, you can talk however you want and just talk about whatever's on your mind and God loves you and will hear you anyway. So I'm going to give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. Then I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence this morning. We gather and worship out of love and adoration for you. And sometimes out of desperation, we just need something more in our lives than we can have from this world. Help us, Father, speak to our needs. Help us to hear you speaking as we study your word together. We pray that we would allow your spirit to teach us to heal us and give us comfort. Father, we come to you as sinful people. We recognize our sin. We're not bad. We just sin. We fall short of that mark of perfection that you want. We resist your leadership. We sometimes don't care. Sometimes we're just selfish. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us as only you can. Father, we thank you for this life that we have. We recognize that anything that is good is gift. That you have worked through all your means and ways to bless us. With friends and family, with people who love us. With good music. With scripture. With food and safety and all those things. Thank you. And Lord, this morning we come to you with different needs. We pray for comfort and hope for those that have lost loved ones in our church. We know that others deal with loss every day. Give them comfort and hope and a sense of your presence. We know some struggle against difficult circumstances, problems in their marriage, problems at work, and just the stuffs of this life. Help us, Father. Help us to make sense of it all. And even when we can't make sense, help us to accept it and live with it. And learn to experience joy in sometimes in spite of what's going on around us. 
We pray for our first responders, soldiers, their families, and all those others that serve us. Bless them, Father. Protect them however they serve. Use them to save lives and bring peace and justice. And Father, as always, we pray for those who are in positions of leadership and power over us. Policemen, legislators, our president, others. Give them guidance and wisdom. Self-restraint. The ability to discern between good and evil. Health. Help those to get past partisan goals and work for the good of us all. Father, as always, we trust you. You're the only one worthy of our trust, and we follow you today. Speak to us as we study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever made homemade ice cream? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? All right. Most of you do. Some of you may not. I was thinking this morning, you know, it's, it's a common experience to me. When I grew up, that was a big thing in our house. I grew up in Humansville, and that's nowhere. So if you wanted to have fun, you generally had to make it. And my family's way was to make ice cream. And we would eat and all those kinds of things. And there were never any leftovers and all that. Anyway, those of you who know it know, you mix it up and put it in this metal tube, and you stick it in a bucket, and then you fill it with ice and salt different layers, and it gets cold and freezes, and there's a dasher in the middle and all those things. And it's wonderful. I recommend it. It's a great way to ruin a diet. And I recommend that too. It's just a good way to live. Anyway, Tammy and I had friends and family over for our night, and the hit was going to be homemade ice cream. A lot of my friends had never had homemade ice cream. This is when I was in college age, and I couldn't believe it. Wanted to welcome them to the glories of homemade ice cream. And Tammy made all these things that went with it, and she fixed up. And in those days, she cooked egg and rennet and all those things in the, in the mix and put that kind of stuff together. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we put it in there, and I mixed it, and we ran it for a long time. It took the longest time to freeze. I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, it finally froze, and the cook, that's me, the guy who runs the ice cream machine always gets the first bite. You know, that's kind of a rule from God, I think. And so if you make the mix, you get the spoon, you get the first bite. And I love homemade ice cream. It's got a lot of brown sugar and a lot of vanilla. And it's really sweet. And it's just wonderful. It was hot. And I was going to show off. And I was going to show them what a wonderful thing it was. And all those kinds of things. And I took that first bite and salt. And I thought, well, maybe this is wrong. They saw my face as something wrong, and I stirred it up a little bit, and I took another bite, and I could taste the brown sugar and cinnamon, but salt, more salt. Well, you know what happened, don't you? There's a drain hole on the side of the bucket, and when you melt the ice and water together with salt, it makes a mix, and when everything's working perfectly, there's a hole, and it drains out just below the fill level of this metal tube that has the ice cream mix in it, and... If all things work well, the water drains out, the ice cream freezes, and everybody has a great party. Unless the guy who's running the machine doesn't pay attention to the hole, and it freezes up, and mine did, and it didn't drain the salt liquid out, and I ruined the whole mix. We tried to eat it because they were all nice, and I was hungry, and I tried to eat it. I forced myself to eat a whole bowl, but we had lots of leftovers that night, needless to say, and it was horrible. Well, what had happened was that salt had 
salt water had gotten up into the mix. Now the thing about it is, probably no more than a teaspoon of salt water had gotten into that gallon mix of ice cream. It doesn't take much. Some of you have probably done the same thing. Salt is one of those things that is just so powerful. It doesn't take much. I found that the difference between a perfect bowl of soup and a bowl of soup that's too salty is just a couple of extra shakes and so have you and so what you have had to find out is be very discerning very judicious with your salt because it is so pervasive you won't have just places of salt everything is ruined everything is tainted everything is touched by salt it's just one of those things it's so valuable that in human history it was often used as a way to pay soldiers some of you know that Roman soldiers were sometimes paid with salt in Saudi countries, in ancient cultures, they would go down to the salt mines, and they literally had those, and they would carve out salt in solid blocks, and they would pay soldiers with a chunk of salt, and then he would peel it off when he bought something. And for purposes of going to the store, coinage was sometimes a small chunk of salt. They'd go by weight. Valuable stuff. It saves your life. It preserves meat. It makes things taste better. Have you ever tried to eat healthy popcorn and I mean no salt? It's terrible. It makes things taste better. If you salt down meat with the right kind of salt, it'll last forever. It's kind of scary. Your McDonald's burger will last forever in the freezer because it's got a lot of salt in it and so on and so forth. It's just one of those chemicals that it's just pervasive in culture. Jesus knew that. In his day, salt, not used for ice cream but for other things, monetary purposes, storing meats, making things taste better. And everybody knew this. In ancient cultures, there wasn't just a, little, a few people who knew all this. Everybody knew everything because that's just how you stayed alive. Salt allowed you to function. In a desert culture, it was essential because if you don't have enough salt in your system, you get weak and woozy and you sweat in desert cultures. So people learned that if they ran out of salt, they would get weak. And kids would get sick and things like that. So it would make sure everybody had salt. So Jesus used that understanding one day in talking about faith. Follow along with me if you would. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So on screen we have this truth that comes out of this passage. Is that a deep and sincere faith shows others the value of our Christian beliefs. So remember salt. Think salt, not pepper, salt. Salt is powerful. It is pervasive. It is preservative. And it sometimes is tasteless. Jesus mentioned if salt has lost its savor, I never understood this for a long time, I'm not a chemist or anything, but salt doesn't lose its savor. What happens was salt gets mixed up with other minerals. So if you get salt and it's pure salt, it's salty. But if you get salt and it's mixed with something else, it looks like salt, it works like salt, but it doesn't taste like salt and it doesn't do the things that salt does. So when Jesus, you're, you're the salt of the earth, 
He's talking about all the things that salt can do, but he also talks about your faith. He says, if your salt has lost its savor, meaning if your faith has become diluted with something that isn't faith, it becomes worthless in terms of the way it can affect your life. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Remember, Jesus never tried to trick people. He used analogies and metaphors and things that everybody would understand. And so this is one of the things that he wanted people to understand. Salt is a way of understanding how faith can affect life in all of its ways. So what we have to do is look and see what real faith is and then compare it with what we have in this life and, and test ourselves to see if our faith is true and biblical or whether we pick something else from our culture. So we have to think real hard and come up with ways of looking at our culture. And I like looking at our culture and I'm kind of a student of our culture. I read about trends and pop psychology and those kinds of things. I use enough social media to know that I don't like it very well. And, you know, the thing that's on Facebook and TikTok and all those others, that's the, that's the gray area of our culture that so many people wallow in. And it's not really very positive. One of the things I've noticed is that there are a lot of pictures of people taking pictures of themselves. If I say the word selfie, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's somebody going, click, and they take a picture of their self. Now, who, why would you do that? Click. 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 In fact, is it such a thing that you can buy selfie sticks? And I know some of you are wondering what in the world he's talking about. A selfie stick is something that you put your phone on where you can get a better picture of yourself if you can't do that. If this isn't good enough, click. You can do this, click, or three feet out, click. Same face, by the way, every time, isn't it? And amazingly enough, there are is an entire industry on the internet of people doing click that, taking pictures of self. I was watching a video last night, and I don't know where it was, because all those things come up on your feed. And some woman was talking about her eyes. She'd done something different. And she said, I just love my eyes. And I thought, what a stupid thing to say. You know, because she was supposedly showing us how beautiful she was. And she was gorgeous, of course. But it's amazing to me that in this culture, we've decided that we are so worthy of pictures that we're just going to put a different picture of ourselves on screen every day. Now, I don't understand that. I've, I don't think I've ever taken a picture of me I know what I look like, and generally, so do you, you know. I, I don't need to send you a picture of me unless I'm doing something wonderful with my grandkids or wife or something like that. And that changes everything. But this idea of a selfie probably gives us an insight into our culture. Because we're pretty self-absorbed, aren't we? We are all about me. I like to talk about me. I look to... Take pictures of me. I like to show you pictures of me. And this is the way our culture functions. And without being too critical, too insulting towards anybody, it's just a trend. We tend to focus on ourselves. So much so that if you ask people what the reason for their faith is, some of them will say, well, because I want to be happy in this life. I want God to give me something. And sometimes the way people talk about Jesus is very telling. Well, I want God to do this for me. I want God to do that for me. I want to go to church so I can get this, so I can feel that. And I understand all of that. We all want things from God. But we have to be careful that we are not driven by that idea that it's all about me. Because that's what a selfie is. It's all about me. The idea of faith is that 
not only do you follow God for the benefit from you, but more importantly, you follow God because there is a God who is worth following. And then, when you follow that God who is worth following, you honor that God who is worth following by serving others. And so the emphasis isn't necessarily to be about what God can do for you, but how you can serve God and, and bring honor and glory to Him. And pure faith is tested against that idea. Pure faith are those biblical ideas and truths applied to life that bring honor to God and serve others. If the only thing about your faith is it makes you happy, then you're missing so much of it. And again, it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. That's not the primary goal in this life. The primary goal in this life is other-centered. You know that we are one of the wealthiest cultures in human history. Our people are pretty pleased with themselves. And strangely enough, we are also one of the most psychologically unhealthy cultures in history. We're sick. And we know we're sick. We spend a fortune on psychological drugs and going to therapists and counselors and self-help books and those things. And it's all because we want to be healthy, but there's something about the way we're living that isn't working. And the something is, we're focused on us instead of the God who has created us. So, Jesus is saying, salt preserves and gives life unless it's been diluted. So what we have to do is try to live a life that isn't diluted with all the concerns of this world. So on screen are a couple of ideas. Ways we can live so as to expose others to faith and live a faith that is pure. Remember, pure salt gives life and preserves. Whereas a diluted salt that's mixed up with other things is powerless. So the goal is for us to develop a faith that is pure, focused on God, focused on service, oriented towards biblical truth. So first of all, live a life of faith. Now I know I have life a life of faith. I missed that, sorry. Live a life of faith. So what is a life of faith? Well first of all, you're doing part of it right now. Worship. Sometimes think, people think, well, you tell your friends, well, well, what do you do when you go to church? Well, you know, we sit in these pews and they're not very comfortable. And we sing songs that I don't like very well. And then some old guy gets up and talks for a while and then we go home. And that's, that's kind of a, a reasonable facsimile. I know pews aren't very comfortable. And I know some of you don't like the songs, regardless of whether they're old or young. They're not in the common vernacular. And then some old guy, and I'm the old guy, gets up here and talks about something for a little while, sometimes too long. So the deal is, when we worship, the goal of worship is not for me to entertain you. The goal of worship is not for the music to entertain you. The goal of worship, hear this, the goal of worship is for you to worship God. So you come here for all sorts of reasons, and I understand that. Some of you are here because your wife made you. Some of here are, you are here because your parents made you. Some of you are here because your parents who are now dead would have wanted you to go to church and all sorts of reasons. But the pure reason for worship is to worship the God who loves you. To worship the God who, please, who wants you to be happy and gifts you things. And worship is spending time with Him. Worship is doing things to show that you 
our concern for issues of faith, so you're willing to sit through things like this. And worship is learning from biblical teachings and allowing your life to be shaped by those biblical teachings. And that's all part of worship. So that's part of that life of faith. Another thing is Bible study. And, you know, these are things that they tend to be kind of bookish and they're not necessarily fun. But these are things that can help you. Not only do they honor God, but they help you. When you study Scripture, God speaks. When you study Scripture and you learn something, you'll have many aha moments. You go, oh, I get it now. And that's a value and it enhances your life and it preserves society and it preserves cultures and things like that. For instance, there are all sorts of biblical teachings, these pure teachings, that if you apply them to your lives, they will change your life. Let's look at one of them. Control your tongue. You know, that's a biblical teaching. My daddy used to say, Kevin, watch your mouth. I didn't know it, but he was teaching me biblical truth. Control your tongue. Control it when you're angry. Control it when you're hungry. Control it when somebody's on your nerves. Be careful what you say. You may not always want to say what you want to say. You follow that? You want to say it. It's okay to think. It's kind of like when you write a, a nasty letter to somebody, and instead of send, you hit delete. That's a good idea, isn't it? Have you ever written a letter like that and you sent it? Oh, you don't want to do that. Hit delete. Fact is, don't ever write it because someone may see it anyway. Because you may, like some people do, is hit send when they intend to hit delete. And then you're really in trouble. So what you want to do, one of those pure biblical teachings is control your tongue. If it isn't exactly what you want to say, if it is based in hatred or anger or envy, or you're just being a schmuck, don't say it. Stop. See, that's a simple biblical teaching. And we muddy the waters of truth when we say, yeah, but that guy's a jerk. He needs to hear this. One of my daughters has a, a very active imagination and her mouth goes with it. And she got in a lot of trouble when she was younger. And she would say these most outrageous things to people in class and anywhere else. And she was constantly in trouble there for a period of years. And I said, baby, the fact that you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. She goes, oh, but I think I do. I said, no, you don't. And she had to learn. And now there's payback because she's got a three-year-old daughter who was showing her what I was trying to teach her. That you can't say everything you think. In fact, is she told me, she told that to the three-year-old. The fact that you think it doesn't mean you can say it or should. You see, that's a biblical teaching. But when you dilute it with anger and emotion and situation, then the salt isn't a preservative. That pure faith that is salt loses its savor. You see how that works? The same thing with so many things in life. If you allow the things of this world and the ways of this culture to influence you, the salt loses its savor. It applies to the way you spend your money. It applies to the way that you live your life in relationships with others. It applies to almost every facet of life. There is a biblical teaching that's very practical and very spiritually oriented. There are spiritual roots for it. And when you use it, your life is better. Your faith is more pure. So live a life of faith. The other thing, promote Christian ideals while loving people. Now this is a tough one. You say, well, what's so hard about that? This is where you talk about what you believe without insulting other people. 
Ever tried that? That's hard. Because it's easy to insult other people. And there's, I don't understand this, but there is some gratification in getting in a good shot to someone, particularly if you don't like them anyway. You know, and I have to admit that. I know. I've done that. In fact, when I was in college, I had an, a, a, an ability to memorize a lot of scripture. And I did so so I could argue with other preachers. Now, there's nothing spiritual about that, but I was just really good at it. And I developed quite a reputation for being able to destroy someone while quoting scripture. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if someone said anything to me or I just woke up, I realized, you know, that's not, that ain't right. That's messed up. If you're using the word of God to hurt people where your salt has become diluted in my head. So I had to stop that nonsense. I had to get my tongue under control is what I had to do. But I had to more honestly ask myself, well, why am I doing this? Is it out of faith? Was I really contending for the truth or was, did I just want to argue with people? And I just wanted to argue. There was that time in my life when that was fun to me. I kind of grew out of that one. It's a good thing. So there are a lot of things in life where when you live a life of faith, you just have to learn how to do it in a way that you don't trample on other people. I think of Christian uh, pastors on TV. You know, I uh, was, I, I, I can't remember the category, but there's, um, there are people who make videos of preachers saying really mean-spirited things. And you can go to YouTube or have your grandparent, grandkids show you how to do that. Go to YouTube and punch in preachers saying mean things. And there are literally thousands of videos of preachers saying mean things. And they are all the time racist, using racist terms. They hate people, obviously. And they say they love people in the name of Jesus. And then they rip them up and use all sorts of things against them. And their salt, their Christian faith, has lost its savor. It's become so diluted with hatred and other kinds of emotions and cultural influences that their Christian faith is lost because they're mean. So, Christians... When you contend for the faith, when you say something about the way you think the Bible teaches we should live or the Christians believe this thing, be careful how you talk. Because people do listen. Promote Christian ideals while you love people. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, whether it be homosexuality or the trans movement or abortion or any of those things. Just be careful. One of the most dangerous things in our culture is political partisanship. Okay, I got a news flash for you. I'm going to step in this pond and then get out real quick, okay? There are Christians who are Republicans. And there are Christians who are Democrats. And that is not a contradiction, either one of them. And so if you say, well, I don't see how you can be a Christian and be a Republican or well, you can't be a Christian if you're a Democrat, then your salt has gotten messed up. Because, first of all, it's not true. And second, your convictions are getting mixed up with political partisanship. So what you have to do is test before you talk. And when you form thoughts and ideas, test them against biblical teaching. Is it possible that someone's salvation is determined by something other than politics? Well, of course it is. You are a Christian... Anyone who is a Christian is a Christian because they follow Jesus as Savior, right? That's it. Their politics isn't irrelevant, but has nothing to do with whether or not they're saved. So when you talk about politics, be careful how you talk. Do so in a way that expresses your biblical conviction, 
without insulting other people. And that's hard to do. I had a, a mentor years ago when he was really good at it. And he went ran around with us preachers. And his job was to teach us how to talk like Christians. And I thought, what a silly thing. I know how to talk. Well, I could talk, but I couldn't talk like a Christian. I could talk like a loudmouth who could quote scripture, but that's about it. So I had to learn some things. So you may have to do that. And this is also that you can honor God and make sure that your salt is pure, undiluted with those things of this world. Emotion, hatred, jealousy, and envy, and those kinds of things. So, promote Christian ideals while loving people. A loving faith is something that people will hear and see. It will influence you. It will influence other people. If you develop a faith that is pure, you will become a different person. You become a better person. And you will resist those urges and find yourself sometimes in a constant battle with your old self trying to do these Christian things. And I understand that. But it's very important. One of the other things, we can go to this screen, is that a, a deep and sincere faith can show others the glory of God. Let's get, there we go. So, the way you live, the way you express your faith, can give glory to God. So, if one of the goals of this Christian life is to honor God, not just do something for you, but to honor God, then we have to think, well, how can I live and show others my faith? Well, you're doing one of them, just becoming known as a person who worships. That's one way. Now, that's not extremely profound in our culture. A lot of people go to church. But there are things you can do. If you're involved in a Bible study, people will sometimes make a connection, even though not everybody knows what Bible study is. In fact, it is increasingly, people in our culture don't understand anything about Bible study. So if you casually say, well, the preacher, preacher was talking from the Bible, or I went to a Bible study the other night, People are going to go, what? And this is an opportunity for you to say, well, this is a way that God speaks and teaches us how to live. And make it very simple. You don't have to impress people with big language. And you can just leave it at that and drop it. And then they will watch you to see if your life is affected by Bible study. Because they'll probably make it a connection between church people and the Bible. And then they'll watch you. And your life is the test. So you have to figure out how to live where your life shows people something else. So this is where the rest of the passage comes in. Look again at verses 14 through 16. Still in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure. But on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So one of the things that God wants us to do is live and talk and treat others in a way that they see Jesus in us. Now you know how light works. Even in Jesus' day, they understood when it was dark, it was dark. And nothing could fix that unless you had some kind of light. Like in those days, there were candles and lamps that burned animal fat and things like that. But amazingly enough, in the darkness of a field... Shepherds would light a small fire and all the animals would come closer because they would see that light and it would give them a sense of safety and guidance. You too. If you're out in the field and it's dark, 
someone turns on a flashlight or lights a bonfire, you're going to go to it, aren't you? You're just like moths. Because something about light draws us. It helps us to see. It helps us to keep from stumbling. It helps us to place our feet just so. When you get older, it helps you to read. I don't understand that. Maybe somebody can explain that to me. But if I can't read something very clearly, if I can get under a light, I can read it. I don't understand that, but light clarifies too, doesn't it? We all know. In Jesus' day, he said, all right. You know how light works? Your faith can be like a light and show other people what works. And your faith, the way you live your life in Christ as a follower of Jesus, can show people something better. How to better live, how to better relate, and those kinds of things. And there are a lot of ways we can do this. So on screen are a couple of ways that we can live as light. Number one, shine the light of God's eternal truths. Now what that means is that's, that's preacher talk for living in a way that shows that you follow Jesus. Not just that you go to church, but there's something different about your belief system. And it comes up in conversation from time to time. It can come up in your marriage with your children or parents or things like that. And your neighbor. And you can explain to them, well, I go to church. They go, oh, okay. And sometimes they'll just drop it. But if you live graciously and you love people, somewhere along the way, they may ask you, what's this church stuff all about? And they may say, well, I used to go to church, but people there were hypocrites. And you can go, well, I get that. We all are hypocrites. Because that's true, isn't it? We all claim to follow Jesus. We claim to live a sinless life. But none of us live a sinless life. We're hypocritical to some degree. And you can say, you know, that's us. And the goal of following Jesus, you can say this, the goal of following Jesus is to be less of a hypocrite and more of a Christian. And maybe you'll have a conversation there. You see, the goal isn't for you to impress people with Scripture memory or to beat people down. The goal is to live in a way that people see something different. That because you go to church, you follow Jesus, and they put two and two together, and they do watch you. People are in your business, like it or not. And they will notice something different about you. Now, if you talk like everybody else, and you drop the F-bomb, you they're the word, and, and all this business, they're going to see, well, your faith doesn't mean beans. I mean, that's just the way it is. You've got to learn to restrain your actions and your language, and talk in a way that honors God. And that's a long process, I know. And learn how to treat people in a way that's gracious. So instead of shooting off your mouth about politics or something, be measured about how you speak, and like I talked about earlier. And then shine the light of God's gracious and giving love. What that means is be gracious and giving yourself. When people need help, help them. Is that hard? not even very complicated. Someone needs help, help them. Someone's in a bad mood, love them. Give them grace. Be patient. I didn't realize people were paying attention to this kind of thing. Years ago I was involved in a great big community project in another area and there were a whole lot of people 
uh, involved and lots of leaders and all those kinds of things. And I was very conscious of how I talked to people because I was a preacher. It's a small Ozark town. So I was very careful and very conscious to be nice to people and not shoot my mouth off and laugh the wrong kind of jokes or tell the wrong kind of jokes and those kinds of things. And I was in a position of leadership, so I needed to get people in certain positions to do certain things. So I was just very careful. I was on my game to be nice and gracious. And all I was doing was trying to act like I thought a Christian should act. And several months into this, this is a big long thing, some guy came to me and I'd never met him before. He goes, I just want you to know something. I really appreciate the way you've been so gracious this last few months project. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, everybody's in here is in charge. There's bosses everywhere. He said, and a lot of them, they're just bosses. They're just barking out orders and telling people what to do. And they're just mean sometimes. And he said, but you acted like you wanted to be my friend first. And I was just trying to be nice. And that made an impact to a guy that I'd never met before. You see, how you treat people makes a difference. Let your light shine means live your life, treat people, talk to people, engage in circumstances and events in a way that show that there's something different motivating you. Not just a desire for power, not just let's get the job done. I understand those things. But somehow, if you're in a position of leadership, how can you assert power? How can you tell people what to do in a way that is gracious and kind? It can be done. It's not easy. And it sometimes slows things down, which is okay. Be gracious and kind. And, well, here's this trick. Jesus said, treat people like you want to be treated. Nothing hard about that. Do you want somebody to yell at you? No. Do you want somebody to be impatient with you? No. Do you want them to call you names when you can't get something the first time? Well, of course not. There you go. Treat people like you want to be treated. Be gracious. Be gracious. Be kind. Be forgiving. Be rewarding. Be generous. Share rewards. People will notice that. Shine the light of God's love, of his graciousness and his giving. No matter what happens in life, live in a way that you think will honor God. Test before you open your big mouth. Test it. Is, if I say this, is that going to make God proud? Make it like that maybe. Or am I going to be offensive? And, and maybe it'll calm you down just a little bit. On screen is this passage of scripture. When Jeremiah the prophet wrote this, he was talking to people who were being punished for their sin. They had already been conquered. God had conquered them using another people because they were disobedient. But God still loved them. And he wanted them to, to reform their nation. And so he was saying this, and they were slaves right now. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. In other words, wherever you are, and this is good enough stuff for us, wherever you are, make the best right now. Quit waiting for then because they were ten, have a tendency to do that. Well, I'm going to be miserable now, but someday I'm going to be happy. Someday I'm going to be nice. Someday I'm going to treat people well. He was saying, listen, just do it now. For the city, in other words, not just for you, 
before the others. They were surrounded by foreigners. Of course, they were the foreigners. But they were surrounded by all these people they didn't know. They didn't like them. They were conquered. They didn't like this culture. Nothing about it. And they had a tendency to think, well, someday God's going to bless us. The prophet said this. You listen. You just live for your faith right now. For the city. For people around you. Be a blessing to people around you. And when you do that, you're going to find out that God blesses you too. Because you've lifted everybody up. Let your light shine before men. So that others can see Christ in you. I can't call Nate to come up and lead the invitation today because he's gone. And Michelle had to leave. So I'm going to ask that I lead up the invitations. Why don't you stand with me? And Brian's going to lead us. And Brian's going to lead some music. And I always appreciate Brian. Sing with me please. you have a chance to respond go home and think about it did the preacher say anything that made sense does it click is there something I need to do in my life to get right with God if the answer is yes if you want to talk to me go ahead grab me out in the hallway or give me a call and we'll get together okay Mike would you come and lead us in a closing prayer father be with us now as we go keep and protect us from harm and father help us this week to do a good deed for someone that we don't even know and help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.